0: Greetings, dear listeners. It's Lee welcoming you back for part two of my conversation with Josh from Shepherd's Cast over the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. We're just going to jump straight into it, so enjoy the intro music. you know we've got we've got so many resources that we can call on that you know it's like that phrase the an embarrassment of riches Have you ever heard that one before mm-hmm. where there's just so much rich material that we can call on and it's so easy to get to it now because a lot of it's like for instance a lot of the dead guys are are free online that you can read or get pdfs or or ebooks and uh the embarrassment of riches is that there's so much uh, at our fingertips that we don't uh, that we don't cling on to, that we don't have that we don't go and, and take advantage of that. It's an embarrassment. And so I think, yeah, I think due diligence is important there that we should be we should not only be reading and studying the Bible itself. Right. But we should also be looking to the solid resources to help us understand uh, the way the church has read the Bible, uh, to read good theology, to make sure that we're not wandering into error, just, you know, just me and my Bible. Because that, that's easy to do, because we, we can easily fool ourselves and make and twist scripture to say the opposite of what it says. And so the, 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 better, the better the resources that we use, the better off we'll be, especially if you aspire to be a teacher right. or a preacher.
1: I have no idea. Just just so you know, I have no idea where that call is going. I just know. No, I was called to go to seminary and called to come and plant this church with this fellow, not as a pastor at this moment in time. I'm writing um, I'm writing some some study group stuff for him, but uh, I don't know where that's going to go. And I'm just hanging on for the ride (laughs) in
0: obedience. (laughs) Right. Of course. Yeah. Maybe you could be in uh, the, the deacon of casseroles or something
1: yeah let's do that it's safe <laughs> give me Stephen's roll.
0: <laughs> i will die yeah that's fine that'll be that'll be okay <laughs> so we so we've seen now the uh the reflection from the old testament right this is the basis for john's coming and so john appeared right so this is the same john that we hear about in luke's gospel uh, at the beginning uh where uh, you know his, his mom and dad couldn't have kids. Uh, his dad was told, you're going to have a son, and you're going to name him John. He kind of doubted a little bit, lost his voice, had to go home. Uh, his wife was pregnant, and, uh, and that the, uh, the promise was that the Holy Spirit would be on him uh, even before birth and he leaps in his womb when Mary comes to visit and, and she's pregnant with Jesus, uh, which is quite a, quite a thing. And then when the moment comes to name the child, uh, his dad, Zacharias says he, he, he gets his voice back and says his name is John or he writes his name is John. And then he gets his voice back. So it's that same John, a, a very, uh, you know, a pretty, pretty cool figure from the old testament i would say probably you know cessationist that i am the last of the prophets Would I can you agree, agree? oh yeah okay good well i know that there are some other there's some minor prophets kind of in the at the beginning of again going back to luke you know Anna the prophetess what's that
1: uh, was it in acts as well or the
0: yeah know. there were some some like it's uh gosh a guy whose daughters were prophetesses yeah yeah boy acts is tough anyway <laughs> acts is an interesting book um and what where was i oh yeah okay so john's coming along uh in baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins now, to my knowledge, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but the only thing close to baptism that I could think of in the area would have been the ritual baths that the that the Jews would have taken to, if they were ritually unclean, they would go and bathe in ritual baths called mikvahs. Now, actually, yes. Yeah, okay.
1: Yeah, uh, but I think what, what I wrote down um, was about, and this is from church history that I studied recently. So um, it was Gentiles who were converting over to Judaism um, and they were completely unclean. So they were mm-hmm. forced to take full washes like that. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, it adds flavor to these Jews who were coming over and being told you need to have a full wash, just like they are.
0: You need to have it too.
1: <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's a, uh, it's, humiliating to them but also humbling to ones who actually undergo it and and then repent mm-hmm. as well you know yeah um not that yeah because
0: right so like when the when a gentile would would be a god right that's right. how the new testament describes them yes that's not really that's not really a repentant act right no. they're not really repenting of sin toward god they're just saying we're going to obey we're going to obey God's law like a Jew, even though just, yeah. we're not Jewish. It's
1: as if they've adopted another idol, in a sense, if you think about it.
0: Well, yeah, right. That's what that's what the Judaizing cult was really all about. Right was was turning people into practicing Jews before they could they were allowed to call themselves Christians. Yeah, so you can kind of that that's a that's problematic, to say the least. And obviously, that's something that john is acting against right Mm -hmm. because if he's calling jews and gentiles to undertake this same baptism and openly saying that it's a baptism for the repentance of sins then he's he's actually doing something quite different from what even the pharisees were doing and the pharisees were uh, you know the most uh the most stringent but also the most um biblically um biblically adherent yeah. even though they weren't it's it's kind of an an indictment against the entire jewish religious community at the time that the pharisees the people who loved man-made tradition were the ones that were the most scripturally sound <laughs>
1: which would put them super offended at this probably
0: big time <clears throat> big time because this this is something that's not commanded in the law of moses
1: <laughs> exactly i i but, wanted to to run i guess a doctrinal question by you at this point um so uh i I wrote down here if we're baptized into jesus baptism through obedience even the jew knew that a full wash meant to claim complete uncleanness and if we affirm that complete uncleanness as well which we do um Mm -hmm. you know original sin and all that good stuff why would we stop with a simple sprinkling that's that doesn't make any sense. I don't. I, I feel like they're. You know who I'm talking about.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. This is why I kind of want the. Uh, so on Twitter, uh, I don't know if any listeners have seen this, but on Twitter, I was inquiring, what should the symbol of particular Baptist be? Because you know, if you look online, like the Anglicans will have the uh, the anchor as their symbol. Uh, Lutherans have a bison or a buffalo. Um, you know the. The Pentecostals have fire, right? Uh, what should the symbol of the Baptist be? And I, I threw some options out there, but I think the wave is is probably one of the best. Like if you're looking through the emojis, like what, what emoji would be the symbol for Baptists? And I do think that's that's distinct because we want to emphasize the washing of people, right? That's that's why I think Baptist ministers are so insistent on the clear expression of the gospel right Mm -hmm. in every sermon practically good Um, ones at least the good ones yeah um yeah that's how i feel about listening to well not only my own pastor but even um stephen lawson you know no matter what he's preaching on his sermons are always a gospel call uh and 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 so that washing with the gospel uh is is definitely a a a Baptist, uh, a Baptist goal. I don't want to say distinctive because obviously every, every reformed uh, I'll speak for the reformed people. Their goal obviously is to see people saved. Right. So the, so clear gospel call is not a distinctive of Baptists, but I think it's a high priority for, for Baptists and, and the, the symbolism of the, the submersion in water, uh, corresponds to that it's all encompassing and um being identified with the death and resurrection of christ by going into and out of the water right and being and being made clean
1: symbolized, you know washing so you know i I feel like even the people that we supposedly learned all of this from leave that out (laughs) just keep performing. yeah they, they
0: do they do have a very different emphasis for the uh, the symbol behind uh, or the, the symbol of uh, the ordinance of baptism or the sacrament of baptism as as presbyterians would say right ordinance is a baptist word but
1: no oh, it's a tie into the covenant right I yeah that's right
0: yeah it's about covenant membership covenant belonging which i you know isn't devoid from the the baptist application Right, right, because because we see people being baptized and added to the local church, right? right. We see that in Acts on several occasions. So there is a, there is a church tie to it, and it's a, an ordinance of the church. Right, it, sh- it should be done uh, in the sight of the members of the church as well. It's not a secret ordinance either; it's public, um, publicly identifying with Christ. So you know, it, it's about covenant with us as well. But I think. As a Baptist, I think it's more consistent with everything that baptism uh, communicates in scripture. That's my conviction. Yeah.
1: Okay. Okay. Well, I just wanted to run that by you because I feel like, you know, these folks have most of it right and they just miss, you know, and listen, listen at that arrogance flowing out.
0: Well, and, and this is a podcast that has 1689 in the podcast art for a reason. So <laughs> you're, you're in a safe space. Awesome. A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I love that um, that phrase, right? So it's not just a baptism of repentance, which sometimes I think it gets shortened down to when people talk about it. It's a baptism of repentance. Okay, baptism of repentance for sins. Okay, that's great. That's only half of the equation, you know. <laughs> yeah. you, know you can repent of sins, that's fine. But if you're repenting of sins in order to, be, to earn forgiveness, I have to keep repenting and then maybe one day I'll be forgiven, which honestly is something that we hear sometimes in Christianity, sometimes from Rome, often from Rome, but sometimes even within Protestant world as well. Um, but this is a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So we're seeing the grace of God in this as well. This isn't works righteousness. This is forgiveness as well.
1: Did you mention earlier that, uh, he was one of the last of the old Testament prophets? Yeah. Was that a, Okay. Uh, I know I've heard RC say that before. I think I heard you say that earlier. Um, so would you say that their baptism, um, Of repentance for the forgiveness of sins is another kind of tie into a faith in the promise rather than a faith in the reality
0: absolutely right because they jesus wasn't publicly known at that point so they're again being pointed to the promise of what jesus would accomplish fully in in his in his life death resurrection and ascension but yeah you're right there he's being the man being baptized is being pointed to the promise of jesus That's why like Timothy had to be further instructed because all he knew was the baptism of John, if you remember from in Acts, Right. So he was trained um, by Priscilla and Aquila and told of Jesus and then kind of the reality hit. So that's, that's, I mean, Yeah. yeah, right. So he was like kind of there, kind of almost there, but we do see, you know, when John says, uh, he must increase and I must decrease, you know, his disciples go over to Jesus. Cause that was the point, right? They got to see, they got to see not only the, the image or the shadow of what Jesus would do, and then practically immediately got the fulfillment of it by following Jesus. Right. See, it is kind of a, a funny thing where the old Testament crashes into the new Testament. And obviously that's different than us today, right? Living on this side of the cross. That's not a consideration we have to worry about, but it was for them at the time. And I think by being able to see that and, uh, and read that, I think that helps us understand the, the wonderful, the, the wonderful gifts that we have now in Christ. I love your black cat, by the way. My parents have a black cat that looks a lot like that.
1: Appreciate that. Uh, yeah, he uh, I work from home typically. And today was not a work from home day. So um, as my cat, he uh, he's been harassing everyone, trying to figure out what's going on.
0: <laughs> Where'd dad go? Where'd he go? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Um, verse Mark, five. Uh, oh, go ahead. Yes. Mark one,
1: five. OK. The confession.
0: So all the country of Judea in Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the River Jordan, confessing their sins. So this isn't some hyper-local thing. Judea is a, an enormous area.
1: Flowers would say all of Judea came, <laughs> right? Is that, is that how I interpret the man?
0: It, it depends on whether it works for his uh, novel theology or not. <laughs> it's funny because the people that say all means all don't always say all means all <laughs> just yeah. when it depends on what hinges for, for their perspective.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I think I saw uh, a picture of him a while back in front of a sign that said, all means all With his <laughs> hands up. And I was like, Oh yeah, here we go.
0: <laughs> yeah. That'll get you. Uh, so
1: confessing their sin. Um, like I flipped all over the place with this one um, following the references. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it took me all the way to James four if I remember correctly, um, where James is explaining that we need to, was it, I think it was James to confess your sins to one another. Mm -hmm. Um, and let's see. So would you say that confessing the confession of their sins is a sign of their repentance?
0: Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, for sure.
1: And then to add to that, this confession was primarily to God rather than one another since probably the people whom they've hurt is not right there and if they you know have just become regenerate right then and there and they took the baptism of repentance then they really are only concerned with the one
0: yeah i i would equate this with confession unto salvation That's right? what okay yeah yeah so james would be talking about confession in sanctification right uh which is which is good right it's good but you can't you won't be doing those confessions before you actually confess before god and believe in Christ.
1: Yeah, this is the problem with reference Bibles. So that's I'm glad I yeah. brought this to you.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and you know, and it's funny because when I'm thinking about this, you know, again back back to the word all, all Judea and and uh, and even Jerusalem were going out to him. Right, he was a big spectacle. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean all of them were repenting of their sins. You know, we see plenty of crowds in Jesus' ministry that were coming out because. He was he was doing out free food, you know. Yeah, they saw it as putting on a show. It was like a, like a dinner theater. But then the minute he starts talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, actually talking about the serious stuff, peace out, we're gone. And I have a feeling some of that stuff probably happened with John as well. Like you can tell. Well, like looking in the next verse too. John clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist. Ate locusts and wild honey. This is quite a character, you know, and if people are hearing, oh, man, that guy John's in town, we should go see what he's up to, you know, was
1: was the point of them painting him like that to just show that he was coming there in the spirit of Elijah?
0: I think so. OK, yeah, I think so. I found some other commentators that agreed. It, for some reason, uh, this hairy cloak thing or this camel's hair cloak was sort of a. It, not only was it reminiscent of Elijah from the first, but even other prophets would kind of dress up this way. Um, there's a, a reference in Zechariah uh, about a hairy cloak um, where false prophets, uh, you know what, I should, I should actually turn to it. Hold on. We actually, we studied Zechariah uh, in uh, uh, Bible quizzing. So I help with the local Bible quizzing league uh, in my area. And Zechariah was one of the books. And actually, we've never quizzed on it ever in the history, like the 40-year history of of Bible quizzing. Um, And the kids were just blown away by it. It's, I mean, it's a wild book. Absolutely wild. Um, So in Zechariah 13, talking about idolatry, Uh, says on that day declares the Lord of hosts, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land so that they shall be remembered no more. And also I I will remove from the land, the prophets in the spirit of uncleanness. And if anyone again prophesies his father and mother who bore him will say to him, you shall not live for you speak lies in the name of the Lord and his father and mother who bore him shall pierce him through when he prophesies on that day, every prophet will be ashamed of his vision. When he prophesies, he will not put on a hairy cloak In order to deceive but he will say i am no prophet i am a worker of the soil for a man sold me in my youth
1: it's as if to make the assumption that all prophets wear these hairy cloaks
0: yeah like if you're gonna if you're gonna try to if you're gonna try to get some credibility as a false prophet you need to put on a hairy cloak like elijah did like you need to you know if you're gonna if you're gonna get the clout that you want from Coming up with your own false prophecy and selling it to the crowd, then you need to dress the part too. You need to try to look like Elijah. And so this hairy cloak thing, I think, is sort of a trope for uh, for prophets. Like, oh, this is what a prophet dresses like, because they're going, they're patterning themselves off the uh, the OG Elijah.
1: Did Did that have any significance for Elijah? Was it just his lifestyle choice?
0: I think it was just his life. Well, I think in part of this too. Is um especially with the diet part. So, the the hairy cloak and the leather belt, that's that's the image of Elijah for sure. And then this diet thing is actually tied to um the Nazarite vow, which we find in Numbers. So Samson was a Nazarite, <clears throat> and he wasn't allowed to drink wine. Uh, he wasn't allowed to touch dead things. Right there's a, there's a whole list of things that guys under the Nazarite vow couldn't do. Like they couldn't cut their hair. Um, and so these, these things that he ate, um, the, the locust and the wild honey, those are in keeping with the Nazarite vow because when, uh, Zacharias was, uh, was told, um, let me, let me turn to it in, in Luke, but he said, God told him that, uh, he would, he wouldn't drink strong drink. Uh, and that was, uh, that's a, a key part of the, uh of the Nazarite vow. So Zechariah said, um, okay, Luke one, starting in uh, verse 12. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. For your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the word of their God, and he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the fathers, the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So you kind of got all those pieces in there, the reference to Elijah, which is what Malachi was looking toward. Um, and then pictured here in the reference to the clothes and then the reference to drinking no strong drink and the sort of this set aside nature of the man under the Nazarite vow. And we see that pictured in the diet with the wild honey and the locusts, which you eat live. You don't touch them when they're dead. <laughs>
1: that's an interesting thing i was i was about to um kind of not to go on a tangent but <clears throat> um and one of those reformed funny moments i don't know if you've watched those um but there's a there's a whole series on youtube called reformed funny moments and one of and it's mostly q a's with Sproul and MacArthur and all of them and uh, one of the questions there they receive is um if uh, if he wasn't supposed to touch any any dead things, how how come he used the jawbone of an ox to slay all these people? How could he touch the jawbone of an ox? And uh, they didn't answer the question. <laughs> they didn't answer the question. They made a joke about it and kept moving. anyway.
0: Well, he wasn't a very good Nazarite. Samson was. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: he That's also that, touched yeah.
0: that that dead carcass that had a uh, lion. In it. The lion, right. yeah. So he right. wasn't he wasn't very good at it. <laughs> I, in fact, I think he didn't even really understand the Nazarite vow because he told he told Delilah that if you cut his hair, his strength would be gone. Well, there's no there's no promise that you'll have mighty strength because your hair is long. Right. So I think I think even he was a little ignorant of what the vow he was under. Oh, meant. That makes
1: so much more sense.
0: Yeah. He's a very troubled dude. <laughs>
1: Many women will do that to you.
0: <laughs> right. So John. So John's John's uh, looking like Elijah. He's eating like a Nazarite, and he's preaching. Uh, which you know isn't all that different from the other Old Testament prophets, right? Right. They were preachers too. Um. They were. They were. F- OK, th- this is another pet peeve of mine, not, not a pet peeve, a, a pet subject of mine. Th- their prophecies necessarily w- weren't always saying about something that was going to happen in the future. Hmm. I mean, yeah, that did happen. Right. There's a lot of prophecies foretelling the coming of Christ. OK, that's fine. But a lot of the Old Testament prophets were foretelling the truth of God to the people at the time,
1: like interpreting what has already happened
0: well kind of too in 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 under in receiving an oracle from god you know repent you're going into exile uh, i will res- i'll restore you after 70 years you know but you're going to 70 years of exile repent and return to the covenant kind of over and over and over again that same kind of message of repentance is being preached to the people return to the covenant uh, be faithful to the law of the lord this kind of thing so it's not only foretelling uh, events that would happen you know how long the people would be in exile the coming of the messiah but it was also forthtelling the truth of god to a wayward people so i think there's you know there's a similarity here too but obviously it's greatly simplified <coughs> because it's simply repent and believe
1: repent and believe
0: yeah of course not not necessarily right here in this passage but elsewhere that's kind of the simple message you know repent of your sins and believe but so he says uh, again kind of preparing the way for jesus after me comes he who's mightier than i the strap of whose sandals i'm not worthy to stoop down and untie and I, I think that's kind of an interesting statement. And so t- tell me what you think of this. but as I was as I was considering this text, I'm thinking, he he's the only preacher who could say that thing, that after me comes he who's mightier than I, <laughs> because we're all telling of Jesus who came before us, speaking chronologically, um, because Jesus hadn't entered into public ministry yet. So he's building a flock here that is going to be turned over to Jesus when, when he enters public ministry, but any preacher today says, let me tell you of Jesus me in kind of in the way that Paul said that I, as one untimely born (laughs) will now tell you of Jesus because we're meeting Jesus after this fact and telling of him.
1: It would have been interesting to be in that position to say this guy I've been telling you about, Here he comes (laughs) (laughs) here he is. And then it's almost like he's been building him up. And then Jesus is like, Hey, I need that baptism you've been given. Mm -hmm. And he's like, hold up, man. I just told everyone you were perfect.
0: Yeah. You're, you're hurting my message here. (laughs) I've been been telling everybody, you know, I'm not even worthy to untie your sandal, but you're going to have me dunk you in the Jordan. What are we trying to communicate here?
1: Repentance for the forgiveness of sins, Jesus. What are you trying to mess up?
0: Yeah, active obedience of Christ,
1: right?
0: A super important concept, and one that uh evangelicalism has kind of allowed to just go by the wayside. You know, when we talk about the, the imputation, you know, we understand normally one half of it that our sins are imputed to Christ, you know, and He carries them away. And some people will even teach that, you know, from then on you have to maintain your salvation. You're starting off at the neutral point and you have to be good.
1: I know that this is a
0: double yeah, hard pass on that, bro. Um, the truth is the double imputation of Christ. And not only are our sins imputed to him, but his righteousness is imputed to us. And his righteousness is not only passive righteousness being that, you know, as, as the Holy one, right. That he is sinless. But he also has an active obedience, and I think the, the picture of, of his baptism there is just one of many acts of, of active obedience on his part, that he did everything right. And in doing that, even though John may not have understood at the time how right it was for Jesus to be baptized, it was right, and, and it was done to fulfill all righteousness, right? Isn't that what Jesus says?
1: Right. It's to kind of build on he's we're not only being baptized into his baptism, but he's also being baptized into our baptism.
0: Yeah. Showing the way for us. Yes. Because Jesus isn't merely an example. There are some people that kind of hold Jesus up as an example of righteous living. But there are examples to follow that Jesus sets out that are good. But that's not merely what he came to do. But it, it is one thing. It's a it's a model. And I think that's that's one of the strong reasons why Baptists baptize the way that we do. Right. We see the clear picture in Scripture. This was how Jesus was baptized. A man who would have been circumcised on the eighth day as a Jew had already received the covenant sign of Israel, of ethnic Israel. And yet he was submerged in the Jordan. He needed under to-
1: two covenant signs he just had to have it that's what the presbyterians say
0: yeah <laughs> john the, the presbyterian john the presbyterian right yeah that or have you seen people uh either people will say it or even sometimes certain bibles will will say john the baptizer
1: yes uh, to avoid the whole confusion
0: yeah. taking him away from us
1: <laughs> the, the chosen did that oh i was a chosen watcher before uh, i realized how awful it was ugh.
0: I'm I'm so glad I've never watched it and I I never planned to.
1: I I defended it after season one saying it's a great fiction. Don't use it as your Bible. (laughs) It's a great fiction at season two. I was like, I just I can't that now not only have they done this and this and this, but now they're aligning themselves with the Papists. So Mm -mm. let's not
0: (laughs) out of here with that nonsense. Yeah. Read the original man. (laughs) Yeah. That's what I tell people like even about other stuff, like Lord of the Rings, for instance. The you know, the movies are great and everything, and that helps you get sort of a mental picture of what's going on, but just read the books. It's going to be much better.
1: <laughs> I read the original. It's on, it's on my list. I've got it somewhere.
0: So good. Uh now th- this last verse, uh, and this is something I wanted to pick your brain about too, because this is this is such a big statement, and I think it's one that that some people kind of take a little too far, but I've baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy spirit. What in the world is going on there? Pentecost is
1: pointing to Pentecost, right? <laughs> <laughs> is this, is this a test?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I think that's, I think that's partially, I think that's partially what's in view there. Right. Because the whole, not the whole point. Let me rephrase that. A major part of, of what Jesus is doing is, and, and according to the covenant of redemption, the goal was never for the son of, of God to be living among people forever. He was going to come. He was going to die. He was going to be resurrected and he was going to ascend and then to return at another time later. But he wasn't going to live multiple human lives on earth, right? He was going to go and leave a comforter. So the, so the baptism of the Holy spirit in Pentecost, like, like you're saying, I think is at least partially in view here, right? Cause that is the goal that, that the church was going to go on. He, Christ would institute the church and the ministry of the Holy spirit would, would come. The comforter would guide and, and direct the people into truth and, and all the other gifts that he gives and helps to the church. Okay. You know, that's wonderful. But another thing back to sort of the nature, the nature of Christ is that the Holy Spirit is present with him in everything that he does. So when people are, are being baptized, even though they're not at that moment, at that point in time, receiving the indwelling Holy Spirit immediately, the way that we do when, when we are saved now on this side of the of the ascension, but everything Jesus does comes with the blessing of the Holy Spirit. And so you could really say the entire ministry of, of Jesus is a ministry sealed and delivered by the Holy Spirit. And I think this comes to sort of the, the reformed distinction of um, the two natures of Christ not mixing the divinity with the humanity. That we have to see the importance of the Holy Spirit in the ministry of Jesus. So that he's not just playing life on God mode <laughs> to use a gaming term.
1: Oh, okay. See what I see what I mean? So it's like the spirit is the one that was you know, providing all of the not necessarily you know extra stuff. Right. Okay. Right and I had that. I had that thought. I just needed you to connect those dots. I was like, <laughs> "What is he talking about here?" Uh, no, I definitely, I, I, agree with you, and I, I think that would add context to why it, it wasn't made so known prior to the baptism. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you do have those what those uh, those um, extra biblical um, narratives that suggest that he was doing things as a child. Mm-hmm. But of course, they're obviously not canon for a reason.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like uh, like making birds out of out of dirt and then making them come alive.
1: That's exactly. Yeah. 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 That definitely adds context to that. And I I, I agree. I agree.
0: Yeah. And in. Baptizing in the Holy Spirit was something that John could never do. Right. Because he he was just a man. You know, we, when, when a pastor baptizes a believer, he doesn't impart the Holy Spirit either. But in fact, the Holy Spirit has been working in that person all the way up to the point of baptism. The Holy Spirit's been working in that person's life. Uh, and that work led to that person's con- confession of their sin and belief in Christ. So the work of the Holy Spirit is, ha- has been going on in a person's life in the person being baptized in that person's life uh, way before that point. And that's something that a a human pastor uh, could never impart. Like that's a, that's a work of God. So baptizing with the Holy spirit is something that only Jesus could do. And actually Jesus did that with the Holy spirit.
1: (laughs) Right. Right. I think uh, that reminds me of something I learned in uh, church history where i'm trying to remember i think it was the it's one of the creeds and it was uh the eastern orthodox changed it and added a lot i think is that how it went
0: um talking the about the, the the filioque clause yes yeah where it says originally the original nicene creed said that the, the holy spirit proceeds from the father <clears throat> and then later on uh, there was another meeting to clarify things, and then the what's called the Filioque clause was added. Then that just says the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. And the Son. Okay. In the Eastern Orthodox world, that's kind of a conglomerate term. They didn't like that, and that's when they they broke the off. The other way around. Okay. Yeah, yeah, they they broke off because they they didn't uh, they didn't agree, and they didn't want to. They could no longer claim that as true according to their own traditions, and so they broke off into their own fellowship. And so we would would we would actually be on the on the Roman side of that. <laughs> Did that hurt? <laughs> well, it, it would hurt some other Baptists more than it hurt me, because we you know we do have to understand that Roman Catholic Church wasn't always Roman Catholic. And I think that's that's something that a lot of people aren't willing to grant anymore. And I know this is kind of a rabbit trail, but we can't we can't cut off all of church history because we don't like the direction that church has gone now. Just
1: just fifteen hundred years of it,
0: right? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but so, yeah.
1: What would you say, just way in left field here? What would you say about the current? show of what i would call cultural christianity um raising up the eastern orthodox than the way that they are doing right right this minute
0: there is a disturbing trend of people um going to rome or or going to to constantinople (laughs) if we if, if that's how we'd like to to talk about the eastern orthodox church um i think we've uh, a part, uh, uh, let me, let me start that over. <laughs> the, uh, the evangelical church has sort of, uh, been in a race to, to be the lowest of low churches. And, you know, I'm, I'm not a high church guy, right? I'm a Baptist. Um, but I still love liturgy and I think liturgy is important and, and to have a liturgy that, that is, uh, in line with the regulative principle of worship that we're not inventing things to do in worship, that we're doing the things that are commanded in scripture and making them putting them in decently and in order in our order of service. But I think the churches that have, have, like I said, been in a race to be the lowest of low churches, you know, baptizing people with super soakers or, um, (laughs) there's a church in my area that, um, when they gather on sunday morning they'll sing their first first song and then they take a 15 minute break for people to go get coffee and talk and i'm like why would you interrupt your service like that i don't under i don't understand why you would do that it doesn't make sense from a liturgical standpoint it's not and it's not orderly either everybody just sat down and they've sang a song together and now they're all leaving the sanctuary to go out and get cups of coffee and talk to each other talk before church starts so those kinds of things i think drive people to say look we want something that is older and appears more reverent uh has some history to it and uh and we're finding it here but what they're sacrificing is sound doctrine um they're sacrificing an emphasis on the scripture because both rome and constantinople Uh, claim uh, church church tradition as on equal authoritative footing as the as the scripture Uh, the east uses a completely different canon than we do uh similar to the roman catholics uh and and they actually label the the books differently and they and they have a dubious claim to say that that they are the continued unbroken line of uh, succession from the early church and that all their traditions exactly match the ones that were passed down to, to them from the apostles, which, as I said, dubious to say the least, but I think truly the, the smells and bells kind of thing has attracted a, a certain kind of, um, I don't want to say disgruntled Christian, but one who's searching for something more grounded and, as, as we've said before, kind of the seeker-sensitive movement has, what it was trying to do, it failed at, because it, it gave the world churches that the world likes, but when people become Christians and are searching for something deeper, Christians don't like those churches, <laughs> and they go looking for something else, and because they haven't been trained at these churches to understand the truths of Scripture, they end up wandering into error. But the Would churches you, look cool. <laughs> yeah.
1: Would you put it um, on kind of a, the same par as someone thinking that we should be doing the same with Judaism? Christians should be doing the same with Judaism.
0: <clears throat> uh, I don't know if I'd put it on the same level, but it's another kind of error. Uh, it, that's the Judaizing error, just in, in different dress. You know, Christians that <clears throat> will will have a uh, Passover Seder every year and meticulously follow the process from the Jewish tradition, which comes directly from the Pharisees. There's no, no reason no, to like, fo-
1: like the, the Jews sh- sh- trying to find a safe way to say this. So like uh, they uh, they'll hold Jews like ethnic Jews to uh-huh. the same level as they will Christians. In the sense that, oh no, we love your God.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Sorry, yeah, I misunderstood you. Um, totally fine. Yeah, there's a there's a section of um, dispensationalism that does that that almost treats them uh, as if they shouldn't be uh, evangelized, right? Um, yeah that that's a that's a grave error, uh, and it's a misunderstanding of. Um, of the covenant, of covenant theology, um, people who hold to that would say that people who believe in covenant theology believe in replacement theology. But that's that's a misnomer. Uh, people who don't believe in Jesus should be evangelized. They shouldn't be affirmed in their denial that Jesus is the Son of God, because the laws, um, the traditions, as they're practiced in all branches of Judaism today they don't come from scripture. Um, They're inspired by scripture (laughs) there, but they've jumped off of it into man-made tradition, which as God says time and time again in the old Testament, when people were beginning to go their own way, you'd neither love me nor my law return to me, return to the, return to the covenant and be forgiven. So that's why, like to what I was saying earlier, I think this is me trying to connect that you know the christians that that want to try to you know celebrate the feast of booths or celebrate the passover um and they're doing it by by the traditions the way that they're written in in judaism it's not it's not helpful and, and i would argue it's not good because number one you're holding up these memorials that were intended to point people toward the messiah (laughs) These are types and shadows. So we already have the substance. There's no reason to celebrate those festivals anymore. And two, in celebrating the festivals, the only records we have that will guide you to do it are the traditions of the Pharisees as they've been passed down generation to generation. Obviously, we know what Jesus thought of the Pharisees and we really should have no connection to those at all. When you put it like that. (laughs) (laughs) Just following Jesus, man. (laughs) (laughs) And <laughs> no creed but Christ.
1: <laughs> so, all right. So, um, I know I take it took you down a ton of tangents, but I, I well, definitely appreciate it D- diving into the depths of it beyond even at adding the modern application yeah. and seeing some of the same heresies you've, you've seen for 2,000 years raising their ugly heads with a different name. It is fun. uh, That's why I think studying church history is is of added importance.
0: (laughs) Big time. Big time. Yeah. We need to harp on it as much as possible. And I will say there's some good uh, there's some good podcast, church history podcasts out there, too. So for anybody that's interested um, there, there's a couple really good ones. Ligonier does one called Five Minutes in Church History, which is phenomenal. Um, And it's been going for a long time. There's a huge back catalog. There's also one done by 1517 called the Christian History Almanac, and it's another short, I think it's seven minutes long normally, seven or eight minutes, and then that's usually, they're both tied to something that happened on this date in church history, Um, but there's a lot of years of stories to go through, and so those are two really good ones, um, and they're super easy to listen to, just another way to pump up your church history knowledge with little little investment so i highly recommend those josh do you have any closing thoughts on this passage on this conversation before we wrap it up
1: your um 30 minute time limit uh i feel (laughs) like i may have caused you to go beyond that (laughs) so just as a final thought um expect this for the future. <laughs> <laughs> and uh thank you for entertaining uh some of my misconceptions.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're you're on point. You're on point. No, uh um yeah, I don't I don't really have any closing thoughts either, but this is but this kind of thing is just what happens when we discuss scripture. <clears throat> you know, considering the truth uh leads us into other considerations of the truth. You know, one of the things that always strikes me about, especially about reformed theology is that when we start talking about a particular topic, we always end up going to somewhere else. Like all of the truths lead into each other. Like you just can't, you can't separate doctrines, particular doctrines from each other. They're all connected. So if you give yourself enough time in, in going through passages of scripture not just proof texting but actually looking into the scriptures to to find the groundings for these doctrines it will lead us into other discussions as well that's just that's what truth does truth is relevant we don't have Relative. to try to make it relevant Rel- <laughs> no wait hold on <laughs> <laughs> no
1: i i definitely learned that aspect of uh, being led into other truths from the doctrines of grace themselves the first time I fell into it and to hear it's funny because I think RC says that a four point Calvinist is just an Armenian. Um, <laughs> it's funny because, you know, you might not agree with that starting off, but the more you dive into it, it's like, dude, how can you not connect them? If you're missing a piece, what, how does that make any sense whatsoever? Yeah. You, you affirm total depravity, but not unconditional election. So please explain. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah yeah it doesn't make much sense no yeah
1: Um.
0: all right well thank you all for listening and uh if you want to go to the show notes uh you'll find uh the contact places for reform meditations find it on twitter i'm super active on twitter i love twitter and uh i'm trying to redeem that garbage fire of of a bird site um, you should also check out the link in the show notes to the Bar Network because there's lots of other Bar Network podcasts that are uh, gospel-centered and done by, by really uh, solid people uh, that you would uh, benefit from listening to any and all of the podcasts on the network. Uh, then I will also have a link to Shepherd's Cast so that you will be continually reminded that the Reformation will be memed. And uh, until next time, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.